0: Join over 5,000 attendees for the largest AI event in Asia, Super AI in Singapore, June 5th and 6, 2024. Edward Snowden, Benedict Evans, Balaji Srinivasan, and over 150 others will hit the stage, joining the industry's most influential to explore and unveil the next wave of transformative AI technologies. Singapore will become a vibrant AI hub for a full week from June 3rd to the 9th with over 150 side events that will make for unparalleled networking opportunities. Visit superai.com for 20% off tickets with the code REALVISION. Look for the link in the description. Is crypto sending a bull market for risk assets? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Kevin Kelly, the co-founder of Delphi Digital. Hey Kevin, welcome to the daily briefing.
1: Great to see you, Maggie. Happy to be here.
0: So it's the first time, your first time on this show, but you are no stranger to Real Vision. You do a monthly chat with Ral on our pro-crypto tier and Ventuir events and all that great stuff, um, and I understand that you spent time in traditional finance markets before turning your focus to crypto. So, why don't you share a little of your background for viewers who may not be familiar with it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, I've been privileged enough to be on Real Vision quite a, quite a bit over the last few years, but uh, never this program. So, really excited. Um, yeah, I know My quick background: I um, I actually came at crypto from more of a global macro uh, background, uh, given my my experience myself. I was in a prior role before starting Delphi. Uh, was an equity strategist um, club, covering primarily the U.S., but really global equity market trends uh, for a bunch of institutional clients. And the way in which I kind of came across Bitcoin actually was uh, from more of a macro lens. I thought, you know, when I first stumbled upon it, it was just one of the most unique macro assets I would ever um, I'd ever seen, and ever come across, and so that. Kind of was my um my cue to dig deeper and kind of fall down the proverbial crypto rabbit hole. Um, but no, come from to your point, a more of a gold macro background, and so the intersection of macro and crypto is really where uh, where I spend a lot of my time.
0: Yeah, well, it's a perfect juncture right now because we are really seeing them intersect. It's getting so interested. You know, we know it was a tough year. By the way, what, you know, what's interesting is. W- we know sometimes people live in silos and they're really focused on crypto, really focused on macro. It was a really difficult year for everybody last year, right? I mean, it was it was tough, but we've had this sort of pivot. We had a powerful rally in equities in November, sideways action for the start of this month, but um, US equities back on the rise today, the NASDAQ up 1.3%, but gains across the board. NASDAQ really outpacing the rest of the indices though. We've seen treasury yields uh, fall, pretty significantly over the last month or so on bets that the Fed's next move is lower. We get a big non-farm payroll number tomorrow, which is going to feed into that narrative or not. Um, We've got a Fed meeting next week. And then, of course, we're watching crypto. It's been one of the best performing assets this year, but it's really been moving, especially the last two weeks when everything else is kind of stalled. It seems like it's in a holding, holding pattern. We've just seen crypto continue to march higher. So just curious, big picture, how are you thinking about this market environment right now?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And it's it's. I think still, I mean, to your point last year, the last probably 18 to 24 months has been extremely challenging, I would say, um, in global macro right across different asset classes. Big picture, taking a step back, I think one thing that's important to kind of clarify at the top of this is when people think about crypto specifically, right? and I'll get into risk assets more broadly, because there's a number of parallels and, and correlations that are important to note. When it comes to crypto, and we use Bitcoin as that ultimate proxy, Bitcoin isn't this inflation hedge that I think a lot of people assume that it is. right? It's not a hedge on consumer price inflation. It's not a hedge on CPI. It's really a hedge on currency debasement. Um, and in some ways, you can think about it as almost the purest bet on monetary inflation. And so this currency debasement is really driven by liquidity cycles, has a strong correlation with liquidity cycles, specifically central bank liquidity. And so it's no surprise that when you actually take a step back and and, um, look at how crypto trades, every crypto market cycle has really tracked liquidity cycles very, very closely, right? It's not, you know, the Bitcoin halvings or some of these other more um, idiosyncratic uh, uh, events that, you know, some people point to that are the kind of catalyst for these bull markets. It really is all about, liquidity. And so what we know is that when we talk about central bank liquidity in these these upcycles, risk assets more broadly, right? Crypto, stocks, they all tend to perform well and outperform um, in that type of environment. And it's one of the reasons why you've seen crypto and equities, for example, hold such a strong correlation. There's points where they deviate, but in general, directionally, Develop a pretty strong correlation over time because they have these same the same big macro tailwind or headwind, right? As we saw last mm-hmm. year, you know, um, uh, pushing up against it. And what's interesting is that the question around is crypto rising bullish for risk assets. We saw in late 2021, Q4 2021, Bitcoin actually peaking several weeks before the S&P and and the broader stock market um, as the liquidity expansion that we saw that propelled asset markets. Um, Significantly higher as the writing started to be on the wall around that liquidity expansion starting to slow down and even roll over, right? Which was one of the reasons why we had such a painful drawdown in risk assets last year. We saw something similar though on the opposite side where stocks and crypto both bottomed, right, in Q4 around Q4 2020 uh, 2022 as that reversal in liquidity started to make its way into the market. And that's also been, I think, a big reason why the two have outperformed this year because liquidity conditions have been more supportive for risk assets. So. To make a long story short, I think you can think about crypto and Bitcoin almost as a, a pure gauge on liquidity conditions and the expectations for future liquidity conditions. And it's one of the reasons why earlier this year, we saw periods where the two diverge, where Bitcoin actually trailed stocks you know, towards the middle of the year as we saw global liquidity start to roll over. But there was the whole AI hype that really drove, mm. we'll call it the more fundamental move in, in stocks, right? Or as people started to price in, what that would mean on a fundamental level for um, for equities, especially big kind of mega cap tech. Um, but it is a very pure kind of gauge on liquidity conditions. And so if crypto is rising and that's because there's a more bullish liquidity outlook, I think that also obviously is bullish for risk assets more broadly.
0: That's such an interesting point, Kevin. I want to talk about that. But I think this is why and Roger, this is why we've been talking about crypto all week, because you just pointed out, Kevin, we had Dale Pinker point out. We had Peter Brandt on the platform point out, you know, a long time. Traditional finance people looking at this as an indicator of exactly this. And we know how important liquidity is. I wanna run a clip from Rao, who's been sort of talking about this. I know you the both of you have talked about it. For anybody who saw the fireworks today on Pro Macro Insider Talks with Julian, and I heard there were fireworks line. Uh, they were also discussing this 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 idea that liquid, how important liquidity is when we're trying to figure out what's going to happen with markets. Let's play Rouse or summary of his thesis, and we'll talk on the other side.
2: So where are we in the macro cycle? Well, everything went down a lot last year. That usually is the indicator that the markets saw a recession and economic weakness. We had high inflation. That is all behind us. The markets mainly are now being driven by liquidity cycles. That's the dominant force of all assets now. That never used to be the case, but it is super dominant. Because the world reset interest rates in 2008. Everybody had basically a debt jubilee, which was, we'll forgive all interest payments and make them zero. Everybody reset their debts in this three to five year time horizon. So we've now got this rolling four year cycle that we're all sucked in, the NASDAQ, crypto, everything. So that's the cycle we're in. So where are we in that cycle? Well, most of that was priced in last year. So we're in what's known as crypto spring or macro spring. Crypto spring, macro spring is like spring. One day it's rainy, one day it's sunny, then there's a frost, then it's really hot. You can't really figure it out, but when you look back, the weather's got better every day. You look back and you look at Bitcoin's up 70%, ETH's up 35 or so, Solana's up 140. It's like, oh wow, okay, yeah, that's spring. So to drive macro or crypto spring to macro crypto summer, which is what we actually care about, um, what you need is more liquidity and a recovering economy. So my forward-looking indicators in terms of economic growth have all turned higher. So we're in the the kind of latter stage of the economic slowdown. Also, forward-looking indicators suggest inflation falls quite dramatically, unemployment rises a bit, giving the Federal Reserve and every central bank around the world a chance to lower rates.
0: So from that it sounds like you and you and Raul are sort of very aligned on on looking at that. So what is what are you seeing when it comes to liquidity conditions in the market? This is sometimes hard, you know, there's not sort of one easy, you know, VIX type thing to look at. I mean, there's some indication. So it's a little hard for I think investors maybe to always get a sense of that. So what are what are you seeing when it comes to liquidity conditions?
1: yeah I, and I was smiling during that clip because uh, anybody who's a pro crypto subscriber and listens to Terrell to and I kind of ramble on every month. Um, we've been talking about exactly that for I would argue probably the better part of the last six to nine months um, because it is it is that important, right? Not to be dead horse on this this whole liquidity concept. Um, but it really is the thing that that drives just about everything. Um, it's a great question though, around you know what do you track? What do you look at? What are we seeing right now with liquidity conditions? There's a number of different metrics you can look at. Like we track, for example, all the major central bank balance sheets and aggregate those and look at. um, Importantly, the changes right in in um, those central bank liquidity conditions. You can look at things like, you know, Fed liquidity, um, which has become a more popular one. I think honestly, and this is something we've talked about for uh, probably three or four months now, uh, maybe even longer, because we're starting to see signs that um, China, specifically China's Mm -hmm. PBOC, is also a huge contributor to global liquidity and uh, liquidity conditions and actually has pretty significant impacts on um, changes in liquidity. There have significant impacts on changes in asset prices, specifically risky assets. And so I think uh, China's PBOC is a big one, will continue to be a big one to watch. Um, And we've seen things like not just the uh, balance sheet of PBOC expand, but you can track things like um, so. of their open market operations, liquidity injections that they're actually um, uh, putting into the market. So those are probably the two biggest ones to track. Um, but major central bank balance sheets is a is a really good um, metric and proxy because again, if you put that over year over year or even six month changes in not just Bitcoin, crypto assets, even you know stocks and risk assets, the correlations really kind of make you question why you know you would track. Anything outside of that, because it really does boil down, I think, to uh, changes in liquidity and expect, importantly, expectations for liquidity going forward.
0: Hey everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. On that issue of expectations, so uh, you know there there is a a, a a school of thought or a narrative out there that okay, listen. The market is pricing in all of these rate cuts next year and they're ahead of themselves. They're, they're, they're too aggressive on that. Um, so that's like the expectation game, but you're saying if you look at indices, you're seeing global liquidity increase. So, you know, do we, do we follow the flows or do we, you know, and ignore that sort of fight about are we ahead of ourselves or not? Because it sounds like things, liquidity is loosening up
1: yeah it's um, it's a it's a really important point. The way in which I think about it is, and I think actually the market, is, especially if you look at you know Fed fund futures, for example, I think the market may be getting a little over its skis in terms of how drastic. And we've seen that change very quickly, right, in terms of how how many uh, rate cuts the market's pricing in for next year. I think actually those expectations might be a little bit overblown. If you just listen to what central bank, Central bankers are saying, right? Policymakers are saying it doesn't indicate that we're going to get four, or even five five cuts next year, unless something, um, arguably kind of extreme happens, which we can get into in a minute. Um, but I do think that typically, why the two people look at rate cuts and uh, they also look at liquidity is typically what you have is those two indicators, right? Tend to move together, right? Mm-hmm. Fed, when let's say there's an economic shock or even significant economic weakness or a recession. You're trying to see policymakers come in and cut rates, but also uh, reverse, let's say, a a quantitative tightening stance, right? Or actually provide more liquidity to the market to um, uh, try and uh, jumpstart um, uh, risk appetite. What you could wind up seeing next year, and and we don't have a ton of examples of this, but what I think could wind up actually making quite a bit of sense if you are a policymaker and and you're sitting at the Fed is, I can see a scenario where rates don't necessarily come down as far as the market is pricing in right now in terms of cuts, right? But Fed's still on pause. Maybe they're keeping rates, quote unquote, higher for longer. But on the back end, they're reversing um, a lot of the uh, commentary and the actions they're currently taking around quantitative tightening. So you have this environment where on the liquidity side, it's more supportive, but you still have rates relatively high compared to where the market's pricing in. And I do think there's no crystal ball, but I do think that that's an environment where risk assets can certainly still perform perform well and and potentially could outperform.
0: So here's an interesting. I, I want you, both you and Noel yesterday brought up a brought up a, brought up a point rather that I think is we haven't talked enough about. So when you're talking about risk assets and we understand liquidity is driving, this is why we're seeing the NASDAQ, I'm sure the beneficiary of that more so than say value and crypto move higher. But you just said before that When we have that AI distinction, right? Crypto doesn't have earnings. They don't have some of those fundamentals to pay attention to. If if you're right on that scenario and we have the Fed holding rates higher, central banks may be trying for reputational purposes as well, hold the line on that to take out insurance against inflation, but behind the scenes providing liquidity does that benefit crypto more than it does stocks? Because higher rates, if you have to refinance or you're facing a refinancing cliff, that's an issue. That's more of a fundamental real economy issue than presumably crypto has to deal with. Or am I wrong on that line of thought?
1: No, no, I I think you're right on that line of thought. Um, And there's a couple of reasons for that. One, like we talked about, Bitcoin and by extension, the broader crypto market, right, I'll refer to Bitcoin, the correlations between crypto and Bitcoin are still extremely high, right? So when one moves, if Bitcoin's moving one direction, the rest of the markets move in that direction. I think Bitcoin being that more pure gauge on liquidity conditions, I think could outperform because it might not face those same potential headwinds or additional factors like earnings growth concerns or even potential for another earnings recession, even though we're just kind of getting out of one uh, more recently. that can that scenario could certainly benefit crypto over over um, over stocks, and I don't think that it really takes a lot to move the needle, or for let's say Bitcoin in this crypto asset class to really see pretty significant gains. Right, it doesn't have to be the same type of liquidity expansion that we saw coming out of coming out of COVID and and um, that extreme type of event. You don't actually need to see a ton of central bank liquidity for there to be big moves or sustain big moves in crypto, because I think also the reallocation. As this currency to basement narrative, uh, I think, starts to gain more traction, as we're seeing more people talk about liquidity, right? Even in the last 12 to 18 months, as that currency basement narrative becomes more popular, especially among larger investor circles, and we have things like you know, potential approval of uh, more investment products like a spot Bitcoin ETF, and then eventually probably a, a spot ETH ETF not too, too far after that, the ability to actually now take a position and, and express that thesis in a compliant way, in a way that should have quite a bit of liquidity to it. Also, could see a reallocation of uh, uh, capital flows into um, the crypto market, even if, again, you don't see these these types of extreme scenarios. The currency debasement point. Another really important indicator to watch is is the dollar, right? I think that's mm-hmm. that's up there with one of the most important metrics and indicators to watch because it's one, also another uh, proxy or gauge for you know liquidity conditions. Um, it's very, quite literally at the core of this currency debasement argument. And you could see a scenario where if the if the Fed's on pause, maybe it's providing a little bit more liquidity support. You've got other central banks that now have a bit more of a buffer, right, because the Fed isn't continuing to hike rates really aggressively where they have to keep pace. They now have more of a buffer to be supportive or more accommodative, right, for their own domestic economies um, and their own support, their own currencies. Um, it could give a little more, more leeway for more um, We'll say global central bank liquidity to uh, continue to flow into the market. Um, and the dollar may not, you know, the Dixie, for example, may not see a huge, drastic sell off or move lower relative to big, major currencies like the euro or the yen. But when you compare that to asset prices, right, and you again, we're talking about risk assets here, that denominator getting debased is what really winds up driving, you know, high, high, higher, higher asset prices in general.
0: Mm, so, it's so interesting. So, we've got a ton of questions. Um, do you want to just make sure we round out this part of the conversation before we dive in? Can crypto rally if there is a recession? It
1: depends on how deep and impactful that recession is, right? There's a number of reasons why we talked about uh, potential for a hard landing earlier, right? Or, or some extreme scenario. I sit, at least my base case, I sit in the camp that I don't think we're going to experience a hard landing. Um, and if we do experience a recession, I think it'll be rather, rather shallow, in part because I I quite honestly don't think that the US can actually afford to go through a real deep recession, right, or a real hard landing at this point, because it just exacerbates a number of um, problems or, or challenges that we face today. Most notably, it just causes fiscal deficits to ramp up even higher. I mean, this is probably no no surprise to anybody who watches this show religiously, but uh, the fact that we're running fiscal deficits at the level that they are today without a recession, a recession only makes that, a deep recession only makes that all worse. So if we were to experience some type of hard landing major shock, right, which usually it's some type of predator liquidity crisis that causes a hard landing in the first place. If we were to see that, I think one, policymakers would be pretty swift to act as they have in the past and they've proven, right? You just look at what happened earlier this year with the banking sector as, as, um, I think a a great proxy or example of that. In that scenario though, there's definitely the potential for crypto because crypto is a bet on not just liquidity, but it's also um, a liquid asset to a certain degree where people when you're you're trying to get out of the market, when you're trying to basically stash or or shore up any cash that you have, crypto could be the first thing to go, right? And we've seen this in the past again, that uh, post-March 2020 COVID sell-off, crypto took a massive, massive beating so, long-winded way of saying if we were to see that type of hard landing scenario, I think crypto would not, I think crypto actually could sell off even further than than risk assets mm. or other risk assets like equities. But I think the, the sell-off would be violent, but relatively short because I think policymakers would have to step back in. Um, if we were to experience a more shallow type of recession... Um, liquidity conditions will remain supportive, and even potentially were ramped up or dialed up a bit because we're seeing data that is showing you know more of an economic slowdown, which typically is what drives or is the catalyst for uh, more central bank liquidity. Um, that's a scenario where I do think you know Bitcoin and crypto could could perform well.
0: Yeah. Um, so I want I want to pull some of these questions in. Um, Dan a- uh, asking. Do you think the ETF news is in and will 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 we have a sell-off once it's approved for Bitcoin?
1: Yeah, I um I do think that a lot of it is, a lot of the anticipation is certainly priced in. The interesting thing about this type of event is the actual flows that come would come into that ETF, right? Or suite of ETFs that once once you do see an approval. Um it's tough to argue that that's priced in because by definition, right, those flows seem to come in and will drive or impact you know the actual buying um, or purchasing of the underlying, right? which in this case would be would be Bitcoin. So I don't think the actual flows themselves are 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 priced in necessarily. What I will say and this is and we're coming to an interesting point because if you look back at how Bitcoin has traded this cycle with prior cycles, we've talked about why they're very, very uh, remarkably consistent with one another. Bitcoin so far has retraced just over 50% of its uh, PG trough drawdown, right, from this from this um, prior cycle. What you typically tend to see is Bitcoin usually finds a bit of a, a a topping pattern right around here. Sometimes it can get up to that, if you're looking at Fibonacci uh, levels, can get up to that 61.8%, right, which in this case would be just shy of 50K uh, on Bitcoin, but once it hits that level, it usually goes through you know a period of uh, a bit of a pullback and a period of consolidation before continuing its uptrend higher. What's interesting about that and, and committed to ETF news is that could all very well play out right around the expectation of the timeline for us getting potentially a, a spot ETF approval. And so you could actually see maybe Bitcoin continue to rally into year end, hit these kind of important technical levels. We see a bit of a, you know, sell the news type of event um, that forces a pullback and some consolidation. Um, so I would say I'm I'm a bit less bullish on the short run. Let's call it, you know, three to four months. Obviously, much more bullish on the longer term outlook, especially as you get into the latter half of of next year and into 2025. Um, but I do think that could be a confluence of events that um causes this market to some of this this um this this uh, buyer enthusiasm to turn into exhaustion right around the same time when, you know we're expecting to get some pretty big news on the ETF front.
0: We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the real vision daily briefing It's interesting because we you know, there's a little bit of unknown here because we we don't know. I mean, part of the ETF is just that it is a vehicle for access, right? So it's, you know, that's different than we're used to. And we still have, so we have folks in this chat right now who are just not, they're not into it. They're They're nervous about the volatility they see. They're you know, they don't understand it. They don't want to invest in something they don't understand. So, it, you know, it's it's not clear, but there, every R, uh, RIA in the country is going to have this in their portfolio as something they need to talk about, whether you want to or not. So, so it's sort of an interesting dynamic. Is there an equity play on this? If you're somebody who doesn't want to invest in crypto or in the spot crypto ETF, is are there equities with exposure to a potential- big move in crypto because this is the thing that is why we've been talking about it all week. It is one of the best performing assets this year. And, you know, people who are watching it in the traditional space are paying attention because it has the ability to have these parabolic moves, you know, so if people want exposure to that, is there another way to play it if they're not comfortable with crypto, Kevin?
1: Yeah, and I think it's a good point you bring up because at the end of the day, we could argue about, you know, the philosophical side of Bitcoin crypto. We could argue about, you know, what it means talking about decentralization, all these different kind of buzzwords and terms, but at the end of the day, price is really what drives interest, right? And and drives attention. And so to your point, you know, when you have these vehicles that are now available for to hypothetically every RA in the country, if their clients are asking them to get exposure, asking them about it, because again, price price is going up, right? They're they're seeing other people that have invested in this that are talking about it, that interest alone could could drive significant flows. Um, even if you know the, the advisor themselves isn't necessarily the most bullish or um, excited about what crypto offers. To your point about are there other ways to to play this? Um, I I do think there are. And and one of the big ones, and we actually wrote a, a report, uh, deep dive report on this. Um, Several months ago and shared that with pro crypto members is uh I think Coinbase is a really interesting play here. It was a bit more attractive at $75 when we wrote about it. And today I think it's trading, you know, north of 135, 140. Um 136. Still, 136. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but I do still think that Coinbase is largely pretty overlooked and undervalued. Um, in part because part of the analysis that we did was we looked at, we tried to get a really good idea of what street estimates and the kind of aggregate um, sentiment was on the street towards the stock, right? And there were a couple of things that became apparent to us. And again, we're much we're much deeper in this space. We live and breathe this stuff. So um, it's not about you know who's right or wrong, but in our view, why we thought that the street was sleeping on Coinbase was one, obviously it's a great way to play equity play on, uh, direct equity play on crypto uh, as a kind of secular trend or uptrend. When we looked at the street estimates in aggregate, what we what we assumed or found was that no one was really, except for very few, really pricing in another crypto bull market. Um, so some of the fundamentals and the estimates, even going out to 2026, 2027, were incredibly low or, or way too conservative in our view, based on what you know we we think that Coinbase can do and what its potential is as a business. It's expanding considerably into not just an international presence, but it's now has uh, derivatives. It's got uh, perpetual futures. The Binance news, I think, was also pretty big because it kind of moves a competitor at least out of the US or, or um, opens up Coinbase to capture more market share. Um, and it just has a strong correlation with Bitcoin and crypto prices. So even if you just look at that you know, chart alone, you would assume that when Bitcoin started to make a big move and the rest of the market was starting to move and Coinbase was still lagging behind, you would assume that it would make some type of catch-up trade just based on the historical correlations between the two and how Tethered Coinbase's business model is to uh, to crypto and and um, and the volumes of that drives. So I think Coinbase, at least in our view, is probably one of the best ways to play us if you're more of an equity investor. Um,
0: yeah, I just want it, to point out Coinbase is up three hundred and five percent year to date. And it's right. interesting;
1: the stock really hasn't seen a a bull market or crypto bull market yet, right? Because it was launched. I forget the exact date, but I think an IPO right towards the end of twenty twenty one, if I'm not mistaken. So pretty much right towards the tail, the very tail end of you know, yeah, the last Yeah, I think his first
0: trade was April 16, 2021.
1: Yeah, so so it really hasn't experienced um, a, a full, we'll call it full, uh, bull market cycle. And so, I, again, I still think that one has as considerable amount of uh, of room to run.
0: Um, By the way, it's down 60% from its all-time high. So if you're thinking that 305% seems like a really big gain, yes, it is. But relative to you know where it has been, maybe maybe room to run. Yeah. Uh, By the way, nothing we say is investment advice. These are just thoughts, (laughs) uh, research thoughts from Kevin. And
1: very good clarification.
0: (laughs) My my, yeah, my my rambling. This is not an advice to go or an indication to go buy that. Only you know your own risk profile. You all know the spiel. Um, So let me see another one of these questions here, because I want to see how many we can get in. Um, But it's this is so helpful, Kevin, to sort of you know, talk about it through the intersection of liquidity and macro, because I think that's why we keep coming back to this issue. Um, a lot of talk about Solana. We have a question, but both about ETH and Solana, what are your expectations um, for, okay, AJ, uh, comparing Bitcoin and ETH charts looks like ETH has some room to run all the way up to 3,000. Any thoughts on this?
1: Yeah, I would I would agree with that. Um, ETH has so far been uh, a bit of a laggard um, compared to both Bitcoin and and Solana and really the broader crypto market so far in this this latest uh, this latest rally, um, I do think that we'll take the ETH part first and then I'll I'll touch on Solana. I do think that ETH has um, similar like we just talked about Coinbase. I think it has a lot of potential for a pretty sizable catch-up trade. Um, I do think once we do get a spot. Uh, uh, Bitcoin ETF approval. I think the market's next kind of assumption, what they're going to move on to, is when are we going to see one of these for ETH? Because the door has kind of been open for more of these types of spot products to be um, to be approved and launched. So I do think ETH has uh, considerable potential from here, and I do think that it'll it'll outperform um, uh, BTC in this in this next cycle. What's interesting about Solana, right? And and rather than take the more technical stance around you know what are the big differences between the two? there's there's a number of them. They're very different um, in a number of ways. The both both can very much coexist. Um, I think they have they serve potentially different purposes or going after somewhat different markets in a sense. Um, but when we took a step back, and again, we've written research on this that you, you can find on on Real Vision on Pro crypto, when we took a step back, we want to look at it also from a more markets type of standpoint, right? And An investor standpoint. And when we looked at Solana, there's a lot that has been built, um, especially in the last 12 months, ever since the FTX uh, blow up, that made us really excited about what was coming um, and that what was being developed on it. The comparison of the best parallel we found was Solana looked a lot like ETH or Ethereum did last cycle, where it hadn't experienced things like its DeFi summer moment, right? Where you had a bunch of these DeFi protocols that were built and then they launched liquid tokens and again for better or worse you can call it an entirely speculative market and crypto is very very much still a, a speculation driven market right there's no doubt about that but when you just look at what its potential was there wasn't a ton you know 6 months ago that you could really do on solana quite yet especially within within defi and there wasn't a lot of more importantly assets that you could trade to express that thesis aside from buying solana's native token sol what we've seen since then and really this has started to accelerate i would say in the last two months or so, is it's starting to show those early signs like we thought that it would, where Ethereum had a uh, what we consider a, a DeFi summer, where there was a lot of these protocols that got built, a lot of these uh, protocols started to launch liquid tokens, those tokens started to trade, some of them started to run up, that created liquidity for the entire ecosystem. Those gains and profits were then rolled into new kind of token launches. Um, and it wound up attracting a lot of investment and capital into Uh, Ethereum's ecosystem that helped it to build out, you know, a lot of the tech that that we see there today. We think Solana is basically going through that kind of early stage um, development and and excitement uh, phase, arguably right now. And and at a really opportune time, because again, assuming that everything we've talked about here with liquidity and our expectations, and assuming that this is, you know, the the earlyings of a new cycle, Solana, I think, has a, a ton of not only room to run um, on an absolute basis from here, but I think it has, you know, considerable sort of amount of catch up to play to um, to some of its mega cap peers.
0: So interesting. This is why um, everyone that we have the crypto academy we do things on pro crypto and across the tiers on real vision because this is a whole new world that's being built and it is intersecting with our with our uh financial economy certainly and and at some point real economy and so we're just trying to all educate ourselves as we go and some are far along like Kevin and Raul and they talk but the rest of us are are sort of Um, trying to dig in, and it's really important that we keep ourselves informed. We're having an Academy, Crypto Academy, live next week, Thursday and Friday. We're going to talk about all these kinds of things. What do you need to pay attention to? What are the use cases? When Kevin's talking about building out the ecosystem, what do they mean by that? What are some of the price targets we need to pay attention to and how Is this influencing risk assets? And what do we look at? All of that stuff that we're going to need to cover. A lot of good response to the question about, for those who are not into crypto, how to play this. We talked about coin. What about block? I haven't heard about that. We know Jack Dorsey was sort of um, very interested in blockchain. Is that another company that is involved or not so much? They're kind of off the reservation doing their own thing.
1: Yeah, to be honest with you, um, I haven't heard a ton. Um, I haven't heard a ton on, on that front. Another way to potentially play this, right? If you're looking for more of an equity play, is um, some of the publicly traded um, uh, Bitcoin miners, mining companies. Um, I think I don't think I am as bullish on those uh, for a number of kind of fundamental reasons as I would be on something like Coinbase. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's other opportunities out there that isn't you know tied to exclusively a let's say a large uh, crypto exchange, right? You've also got. Galaxy Digital, I think, is another one that um, has brought exposure to this space. So there's a number of, um, of equities that you can um, try and, you know, take a, let's call a higher beta play on the broader crypto market or this broader market trend. Um, I would what about also traditional
0: be- finance? We saw all those CEOs lined up bashing crypto, but we know that they've got tons of teams working on blockchain and stable coins.
1: Yeah, behind the scenes, there's a lot, especially around uh, this concept of tokenization, right? So basically trying to tokenize what a lot of people in the crypto industry um, refer to as real world assets, right? Which essentially is, think about traditional uh, securities or asset classes, right? Commodities, um, even um, FX to a certain degree. Um, And what I will say is based on our conversations, there's a lot more investment and development Especially these big financial institutions going on around building out um, their own tokenization platforms, then I think they're they're um, speaking about or or, or advertising. Um, when it comes to some of those traditional companies, though, I, I think it's still too early, given how big they are and given the diversification of their other um their businesses, right in the other revenue lines. I think it's still a bit too early to place a bet on. You know, one or two of those companies where where tokenization and blockchain or crypto is really going to move the needle for them, right? From yeah. a fundamental perspective. Um, but there are a number of other parallels. I mean, we didn't even talk about, you know, the AI rabbit hole and the intersection of that with crypto, which is another big thing.
0: We um, don't have
1: time to get into was, that. And now. I was gonna I didn't even want to mention place. it because it's yeah, it's, it's almost like uh Pandora's box once you start talking about it. Um, but yeah, I would say the more what was this earlier too, is important to understand because we went through a phase where there were a number of um, ETFs and ETP products that were launched that were kind of a way to play crypto, right, or, or or blockchain ETFs. And when you looked at the underlying, it really was basically, in some cases, a replication of the NASDAQ or just, you know, cherry picking a handful of large tech companies that potentially were talking about doing something or could be in this space. Um, so just point of advice of, yeah, yeah under, understand exactly what it is that that uh, that you are investing in, um, I think right now it's a bit bifurcated. I think there's really pure kind of equity plays on crypto, and then there's ones where it's still a bit uh, on the back burner and too early to say how big of a driver crypto will be fundamentally for their businesses.
0: Yeah. And by the way, you're 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 right to there's that there is that AI parallel as well. Everyone's talking about it. Everyone's going to say they have their hand in it. Who's actually where it's actually contributing to revenue, and where it's just sort of you know talking the talk are really important to to figure out. Same thing with those ETFs. Don't go by the name, right? You got to dive in and look at what the holdings are and the percentages. We're going to just stretch it a little bit because there's so much interest in this. Um, Wanted to get in. Hi, Al from LinkedIn. Wanted to get in his question. Are ETF funds able to buy slash custody those assets prior to approval? How does greater demand for the ETF and reduced supply are having not impact price action directly
1: the or maybe second do point. they
0: impact price yeah. action? Maybe is the better way to phrase that.
1: I think that gets to a bit of what we were talking about earlier, where some of the anticipation for the ETF, you could argue, has been priced in, but it's it's tough to argue that the actual inflows that we're going to see are priced in because by definition, we haven't seen those yet because these products aren't approved, right? Um, but in terms of the the custodying, what's actually interesting, and we did some some uh, a lot of work on this, and I don't think it's going to be as big of a driver for Coinbase as a lot of people assume, but one important factor is that for a lot of these ETFs, um, Coinbase actually is one of the chosen custodians for, um, for the underlying, right? So they're going to have their hand and be very, very closely tied to, I think, the way in which crypto gets, we'll say, quote unquote, institutionalized mm. um, over the coming years, especially here in the US.
0: Yeah. Um I'm going to just warn you right now that we're going to have to have Kevin back on because we're definitely going to run out of time, but I just wanted to end on this because I think one of the other big concerns still Kevin is even with the, you know, the the SEC losing that case and it moving on and everyone pretty much thinking this ETF is a done okay. deal. We did see this hearing in Congress and I saw Elizabeth Warren up today talking about, you know, the the use case for Bitcoin still being criminal. I, I, I will say she did painstakingly try to point out there was a law enforcement angle that she was looking at and just wanting regulation on that as opposed to this some of the other areas. So I'm hearing nuance in what they're saying. But Ched asked, with structural and secular wins in our favor for crypto... What is Kevin hearing on the political wins with Jamie Dimon and Elizabeth Warren making the rounds to downplay crypto? Will they be squashed by the crypto tsunami in 2024? Okay, Chad, we know you're a crypto bull, but um, you know, are we past this point of political risk or is that something that we still need to be careful of, which is what makes this still only appropriate for those who have a high appetite for risk and volatility?
1: Yeah, I I think we're further along or further past, let's say, peak regulatory risk for a number of reasons, a couple of which you just alluded to. Um, but I definitely don't think we're out of the woods. We're out of the woods yet. Um, and one thing that, you know, I'm, I'm not a lawyer by trade, um, but just in some of the circles that, you know, I'm hearing, um, what I've noticed, especially over the last couple of years, is Sometimes you think one thing's happening and then the next week, you know, sentiment or something changes internally where the direction that, you know, a bill or um, some piece of legislation was traveling basically takes a 180. Right. So it's actually a very volatile type of um, conversation at times um, within political circles, or at least that's what I've gathered. And so it's a long way of saying I do not think that we are out of the woods on the on the regulatory front my concern being in the right. I I, I'm here in New York. I'm in the U S one of my concerns, uh, from a bigger picture perspective is I, I, I think that regulators have come out and and arguably there's a lot of people that have talked about the bad things the SEC has done. I don't want to add necessarily to that chorus, but I do Mm. think this, this enforcement or this regulation by enforcement, rather than actually having clarity around the rules is certainly hindering the development and growth of this industry here within the US, right? Which has pushed. And I know a number of people, and I'm sure anybody else in crypto knows a ton of people who have actually made that decision to, you know, take their companies mm-hmm. or take themselves to other jurisdictions because this is something they truly believe in. They want to build, it's an extremely exciting high growth industry, right? That comes with a lot of potential benefits. They want to be a part of this. They're going to go somewhere else where they're actually allowed to and, and encouraged to do that. And I just worry that, um, the US potentially risks, you know, falling behind. Um if 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 this type of action or quite frankly, inaction, right? In this kind of muddied, un you know, unclear, confusing regulatory environment continues. Um, but I do think I'm I'm optimistic. Maybe that's just the the yeah, the the bull yeah. in me, but I'm I'm optimistic that we'll find our way through. But it's it's definitely still a risk.
0: Yeah. And just just move on with the regulations. Everybody knows the, the, what the playing field is. That's the message that we've heard over and over again. Um, so hopefully we'll, we'll do it. Yes, we are in double time, Bo, but this was such an important conversation that we extended it. And Kevin was nice enough to stick around. We had other questions about uni, about DPin. come to the academy live next week. And as always, the chats are open. We're going to try to address all of your questions. Um, and if you're on YouTube and listening, come over to the Real Vision platform. That's where you're going to be able to get all of this great access and roll up for Kevin's monthly conversations with Raul and everywhere else he is on Real Vision um, so he can share his great wealth with us. But Kevin, we appreciate it. It was so fun.
1: Yeah, no, thanks for having me on. Really enjoyed this.
0: We'll have you do it again since um, it seems like we are in heading into, if Raul's right, crypto summer. Um, just want to mention, in addition to Crypto Live Academy and the Crypto Academy, which lives with the rest of the Academy on Real Vision. Those who are daily briefing viewers, Christopher, one of the regulars in our chat, is making his appearance, another appearance on air. I, a little bird told me he did an investor masterclass with Roger that's going to be airing in the next couple of weeks. Christopher, that's why I was looking for you in the chat. Super excited about that. We all know Christopher also has a wealth of information. So, um, we're lucky to have fantastic um, contributors like Kevin and amazing people in our community like Christopher. Um, and you're going to get to hear a little bit of a story. So we're all really looking forward to that, Christopher. So set your calendars. Guys, it's been fantastic. Kevin, thank you for staying a little bit longer with us. We really appreciate it. And we'll hope you'll come back to the daily briefing soon.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm already excited for the next one.
0: Thank you. Love it. Thanks, everybody. Tomorrow's Friday. Get ready for non-farm payrolls. We'll be here to break it all down. In the meantime, take care and good luck out there. Join over 5,000 attendees for the largest AI event in Asia, Super AI in Singapore, June 5th and 6th, 2024. Edward Snowden, Benedict Evans, Balaji Srinivasan, and over 150 others will hit the stage, joining the industry's most influential to explore and unveil the next wave of transformative AI technologies. Singapore will become a vibrant AI hub for a full week from June 3rd to the 9th with over 150 side events that will make for unparalleled networking opportunities. Visit superai.com for 20% off tickets with the code REALVISION. Look for the link in the description. <laughs>